Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. You know, there's so many places that we can go at the start of any hour. Um, and so I just want to continue to raise as prayer concerns um, the protests that are roiling in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, want to continue to be praying for those on the Gulf Coast as Hurricane Laura is expected to not only continue strengthening, but to make landfall. Um, that storm has already... Uh, claimed the lives of some nine people in the Caribbean when it was a tropical storm. Um, but I also want to uh, talk today about uh, newness, new names, new flags, new conversations that we're having um, about things that maybe we have just frankly not considered because we didn't take those words to mean what other people heard them to mean. So um, uh, what what sort of caught my attention today is that the California Ski Resort which was home uh, to the 1960 Winter Olympics, um, is changing its name. And so the reason it's changing its name is because it its name is offensive. Uh, the word squaw is actually a derogatory term for a Native American woman. Um, now, that's not actually a surprise to anybody. Like, if you actually spent any time thinking about the term and thinking about the Squaw Valley Ski Resort, you would say to yourself, yeah, that's that's named after I mean that that name is is offensive to to Native American women. So they're going to change the name of uh of this particular uh, ski resort. But the reason that I lift it up is because I was also noting yesterday that the state of Mississippi uh is uh is narrowed down their um their new flag. They're going to have a new flag. You'll remember they're replacing the uh historic what we call the rebel flag, uh, they're replacing that with something else. And so, you know, they've whittled it down to now there's just two candidates left for the new Mississippi state flag. New names, uh, new new flags, new banners. Um, the team in Washington, formerly known as the Redskins, uh, are now the Washington football team. That's what they're calling themselves until they settle on a new name. Uh, the... Um, there are conversations going on in Cleveland between the leadership of the formerly known as the Cleveland Indians with Native American groups there. Um, it's a conversation that uh, that people are having in places across the country. And I'm wondering if the conversations are being had in your own community. These are certainly conversations being had nationally, but are they being had in your own community? So just for a moment, just for a moment, pause and consider whatever the mascot is of your local high school team or the name of a restaurant in town or uh, a park in town or um, just just pause and think for just a moment. Do I have in my own town, in my own community, um, a team name or a mascot or uh, uh, the name of a park 
or um, the name of a resort of some kind or golf course or I mean, on and on and on that that if I were different than I am, if I were a person from a different social location than the one that I'm actually from, uh, is it is it possible that that name, that that mascot, that that uh, reference is offensive to me? And then, if so, as a Christian, you, you you just absolutely have to be willing to enter the conversation about changing the name. New names, getting a new name is actually a, a really big thing in the Bible. Um, and so I want you to consider that, the um, the power of a new name, the power of names and naming in Scripture. That's a good conversation for Christians to bring to the conversations happening uh, in, in our communities today or the ones that we should be pro- provoking be had in our communities today. All right, Bill English is up next. He and I are going to talk about what's going on um, with the Dow. The Dow actually um, dropped some companies from the list and picked up others. We're going to talk about what that all means and why we should care. And then in a follow-up to the conversation that he and I had last week, we're going to delve a little more deeply into uh, the conversation um, about not only does why why does God have us in business, uh, but the particular purpose of production, producing products. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Bill English is joining me again today from BibleandBusiness.com. Bill, welcome back. Ah, thank you. You know your your uh, your lead up there at the top of the hour talking about uh, our mascots, right? Yes. I, Does BibleandBusiness.com have a mascot? No, but Maple Grove, Minnesota does, which is where <laughs> I live, and we're uh, Maple Grove, right? A Maple Grove tree, yeah. Yeah. and it's Fear the Leaf. A leaf <gasps> is our mascot. <laughs> you know, I feel I feel like if you have enough leaves, if you have enough leaves. Then if you have enough leaves, you know, there's a reason to fear. No, so as Maple on, no. Grove grows, you know, there you go. I don't know. Every, All right. Every time they carry the banner, I just kind of shake my head. You got to Fear, the leaf. Right. fear no, the leaf. Fear the leaf. I kind of like that. Right. I kind of like that. I, I, oh, uh, okay. uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. I could probably wax eloquent about that, but we won't because that's not what you and I are going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Um, yep. I would like for you to do a little history on the Dow Jones. Um, we're, we're covering this story today because uh, the Dow Jones has, um, I don't know what the word is, ejected some companies and chosen to add some others. So we're going to talk about those. But um, remind us what the Dow is uh, and, and, and sort of it, it's the number that we hear all the time on news reports. So I, I think that's part of my interest in doing this because we do hear reference to it every day a lot. We do, and it's probably one of the less accurate uh, ways to index the market, and yet it still has all the mindshare of, of investors and people around the globe. Look, the firm was founded in 1882 by Charles Dow, Edward Jones, you've heard of Edward Jones, uh, and Charles uh, Bergressberg, whatever his last name is. In 1889, those three guys, uh, <laughs> I know, you know, call me. Apparently, it's, I it's, haven't heard of him. Berg Stresser. Okay, Berg Stresser. Go. 1889, they, they founded the Wall Street Journal. Okay. Uh, so Dow, Charles Dow was known for his ability. He could really explain the market and complicated financial news to the public in a, in a very easy way, understanding 
uh, or way to understand. And so he developed an index that uh, would would track how the market overall was doing. And they started initially with 12 stocks, and they eventually grew to have 30 stocks. So the Dow Jones Industrials benchmarks or indexes 30 stocks. And the basically the people behind the Dow have to decide which 30 stocks out of the thousands that are out there are they going to put on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, okay? And how are they, which ones are going to be most representative of the entire market so that we can put a number on that market and know whether the market is going up or down? Now, they have a, a, a particular algorithm that they use to, to do all this. I'm not going to get into that. That's too much in the weeds, but that's what the Dow is. Um, and just, uh, well, I'll come back to this in a minute, but you're going to want to compare that to the Standard & Poor's 500. Okay, so the Standard & Poor's, I'm going to argue, is probably a better way to uh, see if the market is actually going up or down. All right, so the um, can I uh, spoiler sure. alert, tell the tell the three that um, are leaving yeah. the Dow, the three leaving the Dow, uh, Pfizer, Raytheon, and Exxon Mobil. Which I read okay. an article today uh, means that only Chevron is the uh, there's only one um, energy stock left on the on the market or on the Dow and that is Chevron. So coming off the Dow, Pfizer, Raytheon, and Exxon Mobil uh, being added to the Dow or joining the Dow, Salesforce.com, Amgen, which is a biotech company, and Honeywell International. Correct. What do you? And I so, mean, this is a, this is like a move uh, away from. What and toward what? No, it, it's it's really it's really what they do, right? I mean, yeah. Apple replaced AT and T in 2015. Walgreens replaced General Electric in 2018. Uh, you know, this is not unusual for companies to be taken on or off the Dow. Look, Amgen's biotech, mm. Pfizer's a more traditional drug company, and so um, Merck is still on there, a traditional drug company. So it makes sense to replace Pfizer with Amgen. Right. Raytheon, which absorbed United Technologies recently, really had a very much into aerospace and defense. The Dow board didn't like that. So they replaced uh, Raytheon with Honeywell, which is a more diversified industrial conglomerate. It's huge. And then uh, Salesforce replaces Exxon. But you still got Chevron in the mix there for the Dow Jones Industrial. So you still have uh, an energy giant on the Dow. That's Chevron. But now Salesforce, which is more of a software-as-a-service company, is replacing Exxon. Uh, like biotechnology, SaaS, software-as-a-service, S-A-A-S, SaaS is, is really growing in importance. And so they put Salesforce on there uh, to represent maybe the SaaS uh, vertical. So really, the criticisms have been around that, that the three that are going on are ascending in value. The three that are leaving are decreasing in value, and people are wondering if the Dow's going to overvalue the market. I think it's a lot of uh, you know what I call much ado about nothing. All stocks are going to go up and down. The three that are coming on are going to go down at some point. After a few days, it'll all even itself out, and, and the Dow, I don't think, will be that negatively or positively affected. Okay, this is going to sound like a pretty pedestrian question. Well, you're a pedestrian. So just uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so if I yeah. um if I'm uh, if I'm playing Monopoly and I bought the um you know those sort of cheap those those sort of cheaper properties um and then I just tried to pass them off as, as more expensive properties, you know, like the green or the blue properties. Um someone would notice that. 
And so I guess, you know, the, the question here is when I take these three out, is the value that is being added back in exactly the same or no. is there? Okay. So that's the part that, let me just confess, I don't exactly understand because the market is valued at what it's valued at. I mean, I can't remember the number right now, but it's pretty high. And, um, and so it's at that value when you take the three out and you put the three in, if there's not an, if they're not equal, then doesn't our starting place change? It's not about equality of value. See, I clearly it's do about, not understand how it works. I'm <laughs> it's so about sorry. representativeness of the various uh, emerging verticals, right? So software as a service continues to be an emerging vertical. So they put uh, Salesforce.com, and there's a lot of money in that, in that uh, invested in that. Uh, vertical and and if you if you have two energy giants Exxon and Chevron well you pull one out you still have uh, big energy represented it's more about uh, load balancing representation across the Dow Jones Industrial remember there's only thirty stocks they're yeah, trying that's to amazing, right? benchmark I, that's going to be a surprise bucket. to a lot of people. That, that right yeah. there is going to be a surprise to a lot of people. It only includes 30 stocks. It's yeah. only 30 we, stocks. We thought Look, it was you know, the average of the whole thing, which clearly it's not. No, it's not. Look, the Dow only represents about $31 billion of investment dollars when you, when, you, when you add up those 30 stocks. The Standard & Poor's 500, by contrast, represents $12 trillion investment dollars. Okay, so clearly the Standard and Poor's from an investment dollar perspective is a better measure of where the market is going or where it's at than, than where the Dow is, than, than what the Dow can give us. And yet the Dow has the mind share, so everybody looks at the Dow. So weird. Okay, it's it's really it's really interesting. No, thank you. Um, people are now googling various emerging verticals, um, and I wrote it down. So that will be a conversation for later. Um, but you and I have to take a very brief break. I'm talking with Bill English from BibleInBusiness.com, and when we come back, um, we're gonna we're gonna follow up on a conversation that we started last week on God's uh, purposes for business, and we're gonna focus in on one particular purpose, and that is. Um, that business exists to provide a means to produce products, products that enable communities to flourish. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. If you visit the site, you'll notice that uh, some things are changing there. That's because Bill's working on a book, and in the lead-up to the book, he wants to uh, sort of hone the focus of what's going on at BibleandBusiness.com. So let's be praying for him in the midst of that process. Bill, let's talk about products and production and productivity. One of the reasons that uh, that God created business, really, or why business exists, is in order to provide a means for products to be produced uh, that would lead to community flourishing. Let's talk about this. Yeah, uh, simply producing products to add products to the marketplace is probably not what Christian business owners need to be doing. They need to be producing products that enable the community to move forward, products that have a redeeming value, products that point people to Jesus Christ. And so uh, here's here's kind of the logic. God gives us talents and abilities. We know this, and his gifting and his calling are, are irrevocable. And uh, there is a place where uh, those talents can be used to glorify God or to lead people away from God. And we have tons of examples in our society today where highly talented people 
put out really high quality work that leads others astray, that leads, takes other people away from God. And uh, I'm going to read a little bit, if you don't mind, from Jeremiah 10. Um, uh, For the practices of the people are worthless, says God. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammers and nails so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried and they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. And then he goes on to say that they, um, that they are all senseless and foolish, and they are worthless wooden idols. And, and, he, and he says later on, he says, all of these things are made by skilled workers. So Jeremiah recognizes that highly skilled work, even though it's high quality, can still lead people away from God because it's not the quality of the work that matters. It's not the quality of the product that matters. It is really about the, um, the focus of what the product is going to do for or to a person and whether that product is either going to have a redeeming value or whether it's going to take people away from God. And so that's one of the, one of the points I'm trying to make in, in this chapter that I'm writing for my book on, on products. So one of, the, um, one of the points that you highlight, and I think that this is, it, it's critical that people understand, and you've alluded to it there, you know, the production of stuff for stuff's sake is not what we're talking about. We're talking about um, using the gifts and talents, abilities, and resources that God has placed within my reach, within my hands, within me, to produce something that adds value to the community, that adds value. So um, I'm not going to get on air and cre- create a product, produce a product that tears people down, uh, that destroys community, or that is contrary to the gospel. I could. I could get on air and do that, um, but those who support this ministry would pretty quickly shut that down. How do, how do consumers, what's the power that I have to influence those who are producing things that are destructive versus the way that I could support those who are producing things that are constructive? I think people who are walking with the Lord are naturally going to be drawn to those types of services and products that point people to God or that have a redeeming value to them. In other words, they add real value. I think those whose hearts are far from God are going to be interested in the former, what you talked about, uh, products and services that um, tear people down, that are destructive, that kind of thing. I mean, you take a look at, I'll just use Bill Maher exam- as, as an example. You know, mm-hmm. he's He's an incredibly gifted communicator, and he can be pretty funny. But most of what he does comes out of a base of anger and uh, really disdain for anything uh, that is represented by God. And so even though his output is high quality, it pulls people away from God. I look at Lady Gaga. I love to listen to her voice. What a voice, right? But her songs— Uh, pull people away from God. Katy Perry grew up in a Christian home, two pastors, his parents, pulls people away from God. And yes, she, you know, wrote a a song called I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It, right? And so you've you've got high quality people doing this. Christians are not going to be attracted to that. Christians are, Christians who are walking with God are not going to be attracted to those kind of products, I think. I think they're going to go after the products that are more redeeming. 
Bill, as always, thank you so much on bringing the Christian worldview to bear on, particularly in this case, business and what we're doing in business as Christians. Really appreciate it. You guys need to check out what Bill's up to at BibleandBusiness.com. We'll be right back. Okay, so this next conversation that I'm going to have with Travis Wusso from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission um, centers on the Uyghur people. The Uyghur people is a population um, of, uh, of Muslims who are being actively persecuted by the communist regime in China. We are talking about the Uyghur people because you and I cannot deny that we know what's happening. And once you have reached the place where we we know that people are being actively persecuted, where we know that a genocide is taking place, we cannot remain silent, nor can we remain on the sidelines in terms of uh, actively seeking justice for these fellow image bearers of the living God. So Travis Wusseau will be here next. We are going to talk about China's rising threat to human rights We're going to talk about support for the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. And we're going to talk about what you and I are wearing right now. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Licato. Something is awry. We feel disconnected. What we hope will bring life brings only limited amounts. We connect with a career and find meaning in family, yet long for something more. First job then promotion, wedding day, nursery, kids, grandkids, around and around. Is there anything else? Jesus steps forth with a reconnection invitation. Though we be dead in our transgressions and sins and separated from the life of God, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Reborn. He breathes life into flat-lined lives. He offers life. Others offer life, but no one offers to do what Jesus does, to reconnect us to life. Peter says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life, everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts right now. This is Max Locato. Joining me now, Travis Wusso. You can follow him on Twitter at Travis Wusso. You can also find him at the ERLC. Uh, he is the Vice President for Public Policy and General Counsel for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist uh, Church. Travis, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. I, I do need to warn you, I'm not a great Twitter follow, but but I, I do lurk around there a bit. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I have to give, some, give people some social media place to find you. Um, so... <laughs> I um I participated on uh, on Friday in um in this event this webinar that you hosted called China's Rising Threat to Human Rights. I was um I was moved by uh, the people who joined you. Um, I was um, introduced to Nuri Turkel and uh, Rashan Abba Abbas. I want you to tell our audience um, who Nuri and um and and Dr. Abbas are, and I want you to um. For those who have not been paying attention, I want you to tell them what is happening to the Uyghur people. 
Yeah, so let, let's let's maybe start with that second question. I'll answer your first one in, uh, right after. Um, what what our event was about, and and we have been doing advocacy on this issue for the last two years, is about the fact that China currently has somewhere between one and two million people in concentration camps, where they are undergoing uh, brainwashing. Uh, uh, re, quote unquote re-education through labor, uh, what Rashan spoke about, forced sterilization, uh, and and on and on and on uh, within uh, uh, within this community. Miss um, Abbas is uh, is a, a Uyghur leader. Uh, she uh, she is from uh, the part of of Western China, a province called Xinjiang where uh, most of the Uyghur community lives. Of course, there's a diaspora that spreads throughout Central Asia and, and throughout the West as well. Uh, but she is she is a Uyghur leader um, and uh, has started a, a human rights organization focused on uh, her community. And uh, Commissioner Nuri Turkle is, uh, he is one of the commissioners on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, which is an independent quasi-governmental uh, organization that does uh, does reporting and uh, uh, Commissioner Turkle is is a he's a lawyer and is I mean one of the you know clearest uh, advocates I think um, on these uh, on these issues. So um, the reason we hosted the event is that you know we th- we think that this is one of the great uh, human rights abuses that is happening uh, in our time and. Uh, while I think our government deserves uh, quite a lot of credit for standing up to China, um, uh, it's it, it is not it's not clear to me that the international community is mobilized for uh, the fight that is going to be required to get China to uh, back down on this. So um, not to leave off the list the fact that uh, Ambassador Sam Brownback, the U.S. Ambassador for International Religious Freedom, and Dr. Russell Moore um, from the ERLC, were also uh, a part of the conversation on the webinar. Travis, I just wanted to, um, I think people need to understand, we have, this is not the first time that we have talked about the plight of the Uyghur people here on our program, but I want to highlight the, um, I was surprised to learn, and if I've been paying attention and it was a surprise to me to learn this, then it's probably going to be a surprise to other people. This has been mm-hmm. going on a long time. This is not right. something that just started a couple of years ago. Talk, talk right. about the how long this has been taking place in terms of um, uh, of the China of, of the communist Chinese government's um, persecution of this particular people group. Well, I mean, Commissioner Turkle himself was born in a re-education camp during the Cultural Revolution in China, and so you know the the. The Uyghur people, you know, it's it is an ethnic group, predominantly Muslim, although not 100% Muslim, of course. There are, are Uyghur Christians uh, and Uyghurs who follow, you know, a number of other faiths and no faith at all. Um, but the the oppression against this ethnic group, you know, reaches all the way back to the Cultural Revolution. Um, uh, uh, Rishan Abbas, uh, in the late uh, 1980s, was a student organizer and protester at Jin, at Xinjiang University. Um, and and one one of the lines that really, I mean, I think arrested me uh, from from our webinar was when I, I had asked uh, Commissioner Turkle a question about. Uh, about forced labor and uh, and how long you know this issue had been had been going on and his answer was you know f- 
forced labor is an enduring reality for the Uyghur people. We have a word for it. Uh, it's it it is it is such a common pervasive feature of our existence uh, under under China's rule. So you know this the, you know unfortunately the you know the ethnic tensions between you know dominant Han Chinese and uh, and uh, ethnic Uyghurs you know reaches back generations. Um, but I do think that what we're seeing uh, in Western China is something new. There's the technological component of this is extremely disturbing. Uh, uh, China is uh, is working right now to reverse engineer uh, people's faces from their DNA. So they're they're building a massive uh, database of people's DNA with fingerprints, their face, their eye shape, and so on, in order to try to correlate these things. Um, the, uh, you know, all of this, of course, is connected to uh, China's overall regime of, uh, I'm sure your listeners are aware uh, of the social scoring system that, that China has uh, has in place for much of its country, where if you go to a mosque, if you go to a church, if you uh, are around this person or that person, your score decreases. And if it decreases too much, then you get fired from your job, you can't buy a train ticket and so on. So, you know, I, I think you know, while the oppression of, of the Uyghur people at, at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party is not is not new, it's not something which has started happening in the last few years. It, it's again, it's an oppression that reaches back generations. I think the uh, the way that the methods, the technology, um, and uh, and 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 really the program uh, has advanced in the last few years is disturbing. And again, not just for uh, the Uyghur people, but I, I think we're kidding ourselves if we if we think that uh, the Communist Party is not ready to uh, spread this technology and these methods across uh, across its territory and perhaps to export uh, this model to other authoritarian regimes around the world. That's one of our biggest concerns. Yeah, and we should understand that's the future of systemic human rights violations around the world. Is going to we are seeing our future um, if we fail to address it now. I'm going to continue this right. conversation with Travis Wusso in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Travis Wusso from the ERLC, you can. Find uh, conversations about what we're talking about today at ERLC.com. One of the things you're going to find there is how you can support the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. We're going to encourage you to reach out to your members of Congress um, related to this particular item of business. Um, Travis, let's talk about what we can do. Let's talk about tangible ways that we can support um, support the effort to not only highlight this issue, but actually, um, but actually address this violation of human rights taking place in such a systemic way in China. Yeah, I'd, I'd give sort of, uh, I'd maybe give three three ways uh, to to think about this. The first is in the decisions that we make about the things that we buy. Um, you know, the 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 Uyghur people are are, are currently being used um, to produce raw materials. Uh, there are some reports that they have been uh, used in these forced labor camps uh, to produce electronics. And so, you know, I, I think the, you know, the, the challenge for us is that as intertwined as our, um, as our economy is with the Chinese economy, you know, the, the sort of concept of, of, of trying to boycott 
China as a whole is is such an overwhelming task that uh, you know I, I think a lot of us can can sort of you know just give up uh, with uh, at the thought of, of of trying to make sure that nothing we buy comes from China because you know in in almost everything we have uh, you know some piece of it uh, is connected to China in some way but I think there. Are, there, there are things that we can do, and um, you know, I, I think that that does start with asking tough questions uh, of your your favorite brands, particularly clothing brands. Um, you know, some of the reports uh, that we have seen are that, uh, you know, and of course, I, I should say, one of the challenges with this is that there there's a lot that we don't know because human rights advocates have not been allowed uh, into uh, this part of uh, of China to do uh, to do inspections. But what what we understand is that. Uh, the uh, the Uyghur community is is being used for uh, cotton harvesting and processing and that sort of thing. And so, you know, one thing that we can do is 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 reach out to your favorite brands and ask them, you know, what are you doing to make sure that your supply chain uh, is is free of forced labor and slavery? And you know, of course, this applies, you know, not not just with the Uyghur community, but but uh, but more globally. But I think that's the first thing we can do. Be mindful of what you're buying. Ask tough questions uh, of the companies that you uh, uh, that you buy stuff from, uh, and ask them what they're doing uh, what they're doing to address this problem. Uh, the second is is uh, is the bill that you just mentioned. It's uh, it's a bill that is working through uh, both uh, both chambers, and it's a bill that would give the State Department new tools to issue sanctions to companies that use forced labor. Uh, it would uh, require some reporting and, and really require the State Department uh, to prioritize uh, and take this issue up. And so, you know, we think that it's important. It's an important piece of legislation, not just for what it does, but but also because for what it says uh, that that our country is 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 aware of and sees what's happening uh, in Xinjiang. And uh, we we're not going to stand for it. Um, the last is is, um, you know, is a bit harder. I mean, I think you know, we we do a lot of of work with the international community. Um, I, you know, our organization um, has consul uh, consultative status at the United Nations, and we do a lot of work at the Human Rights Council in Geneva. And I think one of the most depressing things uh, for me is 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 how um, uh, how weak the international community's response has been um, on these issues. And so, you know, I think the you know one of the things that I'm trying to think about is is, you know, to the extent that I have uh, friends who are believers in London or in Germany or uh, in other in other Western countries, what what can we do to help them understand uh, these issues? You know, we're we're a part of a global body of Christ. What can we do to, you know, as we're act as we're asking our own government uh, to hold the Chinese uh, Communist Party accountable, what can we do to encourage uh, our, you know, our friends who are citizens of other uh, citizens of other countries to turn around and do the same uh, within their own uh, within their own countries because you know China is an economic uh, juggernaut and it's going to be difficult for any uh, Western country, including I think as we've seen over the last few years, even the United States. It's difficult for us to stand up to China, um, but if we all stand together, uh, I think that I think that we do we do have a chance to force China to change course on this. All right. I want to lift up one more um, question with you, Travis, and that's in it, this is I know a little bit speculative at this point, but this is the kind of conversation that I guess I'm hoping people will have in their own um, around their own dinner tables. Um, the Winter Olympics is scheduled to be held in Beijing in 2022. 
I ask myself, if I had known, if I had been an American alive in 1936, and I had known then what we know now, would I have supported my nation's participation in the Berlin Olympics? And I think my answer to that question is no. I, I, I right. hope, I hope that as an American, if I knew in 1936 what I know now about what was going on, um, would I, I, I hope that I would have stood up and said, I don't want my nation participating in that. In fact, I don't want the Olympics held in that country. I don't want them held in Berlin in 36. I don't want them held in Beijing in 2022. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a really important point. And um, uh, Senator Scott from uh, from Florida has really been leading the charge on asking this question of what what is the American response uh, to uh, to the Olympics in 2024? How are we going to uh, how are we going to think about that? I mean, you know, the, the thing that, you know, going back to your, you know, I think your analogy is, you know, is right on to look at, you know, Germany in 1938. It was before the worst abuses had happened. Um, of course, some abuses had had already uh, had already started to unfold, and and uh, you know certainly there were some in Germany who who saw the trajectory. But we're, we aren't exactly in that situation. There are abuses happening right now, and uh, you know the other thing that I would add to that is the pace of change is unbelievable uh, in in terms of how. Uh, how the, the the Chinese Communist Party is is adjusting its footing. If you just look at Hong Kong, I was in Hong Kong in uh, in November. Uh, I was there to uh, meet with some high level government officials. Uh, we we shot and produced a a, a documentary film uh, that featured uh, the older generation of, of political leaders, religious leaders, uh, some current members of legislative council, student activists, a whole range of people. We have some great footage. I cannot release that film today hmm. because it would put all of the subjects of that film, hmm. uh, in grave jeopardy because of the new national security law that Beijing has just imposed on Hong Kong. That's, that's happened in the last six months. And I can tell you when, when I was there in November, the idea that six months later, uh, this is this is the way that Beijing would respond uh, to the protest. It was not even on anybody's mind uh, that this is where things could could head. In fact, people were optimistic uh, that the protests were actually uh, were actually starting to make a difference. And in fact, it's it's done the reverse. And so, you know, I I think we're you know we're looking at a China that is uh, brazen, is emboldened. Uh, I think. Uh, you know, and and I think if you're sitting in, you know, if you're a, a party leader sitting in Beijing, what 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 price have they had to pay? They have, you know, made perhaps two million uh, Uyghurs in concentration camps. They're, you know, they are uh, drawing uh, Hong Kong into itself. It is the end of one country, two systems. Uh, we're watching that unfold uh, right before our very eyes. And what price have they paid? Virtually none. It's business as usual. Uh, and so I think that that is that that's one of the most disturbing points. So going back to your question, you know, what would get their attention? Obviously, you know, China is very concerned about its uh, about its prestige. And, you know, I think that uh, in its standing in the international community, I think that the Olympics, uh, you know, is a great example of the kind of international event that confers that status of. Uh, you are one of us. Uh, you're a country just like the rest of us, um, uh, uh, you know, upon China. And I think we need to think very seriously uh, about uh, about our our participation as Americans uh, in that enterprise. 
Travis Wiseau, thank you so much for joining us today. I want to direct people to ERLC.com. If you scroll down and you look at the religious uh, liberty uh, heading, you can find articles related to this conversation and other important work happening there. Travis, uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for talking about this issue. Absolutely. We'll be right back. There's a, a historic quote um, credited to Niemeyer, and the, the, the question is this, you know, if, if I don't go and help now, um, then who's going to be there to help when they come for me? And so let's be considering that question today in terms of why we ought to mobilize ourselves and our concern on behalf of the least of these around the world. Um, we actually know what's happening to the Uyghur people. And we must step up um, and act for justice on their behalf. Uh, this has been Mornings with Carmen. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.